0: doing research for this episode has brought me such happiness people talked about so many wonderful women i cannot wait to share them with you
1: have you ever dreamed of living on a paradise island that's exactly what yvonne campbell will be doing for a whole year otherworld travel presents life in barbados a year on a paradise island
0: Welcome to this week's episode and happy International Women's Week. The week kicked off with International Women's Day on Monday and that movement seeks to raise awareness of and challenge gender inequality. To play my part, I wanted to celebrate the remarkable women of Barbados. I've spent the last week asking people to tell me which Bajan women have influenced or inspired them.
1: Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island.
2: The remarkable Bayesian woman that I am so inspired by is Cheryl Carter. Cheryl works tirelessly on behalf of the island of Barbados. First, she represented the Barbados Tourism Authority in Canada, and now she heads up the entire promotion of Barbados in the UK at the Barbados Tourism Marketing Inc. She is hardworking, dedicated, personifies all the best qualities of the Barbadian people. One lady
3: that I admire is Dr. Drakes of Jade Physical Therapy. She is a very successful entrepreneur, she is a fitness enthusiast. She is a health enthusiast. And most importantly, she is a mother. And she is able to achieve all that she sets out her mind to with such determination, endurance, faith, strength. And I truly admire this about her. The female Barbadian that I admire is the current Prime Minister of Barbados, the Honourable Mia Amor Motley. And first of all, i just like to mention that I think is really great what she's accomplished so far in that she's the very first female prime minister of Barbados. And this is something that no other female on the island has accomplished. So being the very first female prime minister, that's something that's really worthy of applause and of praise. And the other thing that I also wanted to mention is her way of handling the current situation with the COVID virus around the world. How she's making sure that she's keeping the general public up to date with everything that's going on so keeping the lines of communication open and letting us know day by day
1: each thing that's going on with this situation life in barbados
0: my guests on today's podcast were also identified as inspirational leaders in their field barbara treloff dean monique archer and sherry jones are three formidable Bayesian women with one thing in common. They are making a significant impact in areas that they are passionate about. Barbara Treofteen, a local Bayesian woman who attended university and worked in Canada, and returned to Barbados several years ago to focus on giving back to the local community.
2: It's all about making a difference in the world. And again, that's very much a Barbadian, call it ethic, if you would. So in the majority of our events up in Canada, they usually, at the end of the day, if you've sold tickets or whatever, the funds are accumulated and then will go to support charitable objectives. So there's always an emphasis on giving back and making a difference. So I basically grew up with that. So it's part of, as I said, our national consciousness, so to speak. It's that desire to help, desire to make a difference.
0: And it sounds like you have been involved in quite a variety of charity work as well. Is there anything that you haven't yet done in relation to your kind of ambitions of the charity work you're trying to kind of achieve? Or is there anything that's eluded you to date that you would like to do something about?
2: I would say there's an area in the future that I would like to get much more involved in and that I'm sure the initiative will present itself in due course. And that is thinking in terms of the theme and the context around International Women's Day. We are very much a matriarchal society here in Barbados. And so the woman is, you know, generally speaking, the head of the household and that role is, as we all know, very impactful in terms of raising children, helping you know create future citizens for the country. So being able to support programs that help young girls think about their future for themselves in terms of what's happening on a social level, spiritual level, emotional level, how can they embrace what their talents are in terms of really achieving their full potential? Because at the end of the day, they will have a tremendous impact on other youth, whether or not they are actually having children themselves and raising children and influencing them, or whether as an aunt, they're able to influence as well, or even adopt. But the role of the woman is very strong and very powerful here in the Caribbean. And I would like to see programs potentially through school or whatever other type of avenue that really help develop that sense of personal responsibility. How do you achieve your potential in the best possible way?
0: So given this has been International Women's Week, the theme this year is Choose to Challenge. And I'm just wondering if you've got any words of advice for girls or women out there around that theme.
2: A couple of things. Some people in life, yes, things just seem to fall into their hands, into their plates, into their laps. But for the majority, it really is focus on the discipline of maths and your English hard work, commitment, but really look to what is your talent and your potential and how can you develop that. And I'd like to make a special call out to a young lady, Maria Marshall, who is our local Greta Thunberg, so to speak. And she has this beautiful program on little thoughts on big matters. And she's 11 years old when she was at primary school in Blackman and Gala. She's now at Harrison College. She had put together this small video and it won an award. And so she'd been interviewed internationally, but it was all around observing something that was happening, somebody throwing trash, garbage out of a van, and then taking that as an idea and saying, what is my role and my responsibility in terms of the environment and how I can give back to the country? And so I would say it's that, what are you seeing around you? This is all our country. How can we all make a difference in whatever smaller way as possible, but also make a difference by developing our potential and let that be the mission to give back. It really comes back to, do not let your circumstances define you because you have an opportunity, especially here in Barbados. And of course, you know, in the UK and Canada, the US, other parts of the world, to take what life has offered you and to really try and transform that into something else. So do not let that, let your circumstances dictate. Look from within, what is your opportunity to make a difference?
0: I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Please do subscribe to Life in Barbados to follow my journey and never miss an episode.
1: Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island.
0: Sherry Jones, a writer, a lawyer and a mama for her Her debut novel, How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House, is set here in Barbados and has just today been long listed for the Women's Prize for Fiction 2021 in the UK. So can you tell us a bit about the book then? So How the One-Armed Sister Sweeps Her House
3: is a book about a woman called Lala, a young woman who lives on Baxter's Beach in Barbados with her husband, Aiden, who is a criminal, essentially. He does a number of illegal activities for a living. And Lala is a hair braider on the beach. And we meet her at the beginning of the novel on the night that she gives birth to their first child. Now, on that same night, there is a robbery at a mansion on the beach and a wealthy tourist is murdered and how the one arm sister sweeps her house is really about how those two events are connected and it takes place over one summer in 1984 and along the way it explores Lala's evolution as a woman her eventual escape from the circumstances in which she finds herself when we meet her and it also explores themes of race, class, color, poverty, Violence and especially domestic violence in Barbados in this picturesque setting of this beach with powdery pink sand and beautiful blue sunlit skies. So that's what the novel is about in a nutshell.
0: Wow. And how much (laughs) of your experience of growing up in Barbados, your experience of being a lawyer, et cetera, Mm -hmm. how much of that is reflected in the novel? Well, this is a
3: thing. This novel was kind of like my love song to Barbados. You know, I have some really early memories. I was speaking to my parents just recently and some of my memories actually go back so before it was two years old, believe it or not. And we actually lived in a house on this beach called Harry Smith Beach in St. Philip. It's not a particularly picturesque beach. It's not great for bathing. But I do remember sort of walking along the beach with my dad. And I remember just having a special relationship with the sea. And that has continued for, you know, the rest of my life. It's a little bit of a love-hate relationship. I certainly think that aspect of my life influenced the novel in a really big way. In terms of my career, what I would probably say is that My legal training helps me with getting to the bottom of the story. So I tend to start writing a story. I'll hear a character in my head, or I will see a scene being played out. And then there's this curiosity. I want to know like, well, why are you saying that? Why has this particular thing happened? And I start asking all these questions around what I'm hearing or seeing. And I think my legal training actually helps with that because I've said quite a few times now that, you know, the characters that tend to talk to me tend not to tell the whole truth. So it helps to be able to ask some good questions (laughs) and find out what's really going on. Quite apart from that, I think my research skills definitely help with my writing. For things that I don't know, I haven't personally experienced, that helps. But yeah, so certainly my love affair with the beach, I mean, I sort of came into, you know, the beginning of knowledge of myself in the 80s. I would have been about, you know, 11 years old. And so it just felt like it was a little bit of an ode to that period of time. I remember the eighties fondly, you know, Hanson dresses and Walkmans and all these things that, you know, you don't really see now, even those shoulder pads, You know, are making a bit of a comeback, but (laughs) (laughs) there are lots of other things that haven't quite made it back yet. So it was really wonderful to be able to write about that and recreate that world, you know, and that period of time when I was kind of discovering who I was within the context of all these great things happening in the 80s. So, yeah, I think those are some of the influences that would
0: have made their way into this book it's no kind of small feat there that you've described in terms of juggling the creative writing passion and your legal work, bringing up a family. Like what's kept you driven around the writing? How did you manage to keep that going to get to just now being kind of nominated for all sorts of awards, which is amazing.
3: If I have a story in my head and I'm not actually working on it over time, it's kind of like it nags me and it's actually difficult to focus on other things because I really want to get to what's in my head. So for me, it's like, I don't think I ever decided really to pursue writing or to keep going with writing. I think that's something that I'm compelled to do. It's just a part of me. I'll do it anyway. But in terms of pursuing publishing opportunities and trying to hone my craft and so on, it's just almost like there are these signposts that come up in life that say, you know, this way. And that happened with me a lot. There were Here's a time that I got really immersed in other things. I remember when my boys were quite young and there was a period of time where I was just totally focused on them. I was a new mom you know, two boys, two young boys, and it was just all about them. And I would have these stories in my head that would just nag me and nag me and nag me. And eventually I had to realize that is a part of myself. That is something that I need to nurture and allow to grow just as I need to fulfill the other roles in my life. So I really felt over time, like I just didn't have a choice. It was just something that I needed to do. So You know, I would, in my spare time, what what people would consider spare time, I would be, you know, reading something, writing something, looking at the Paris Review, looking for publishing opportunities, thinking about competitions. You know, I'd go away to the colony for a couple of weeks and just really soak in this very nurturing atmosphere and a community of like-minded people who understood this compulsion and who wanted to hear what I had to say and to share and to exchange and so on. So it was just something, it's a compulsion. It's something that I can't not do it. I just can't imagine not doing it. So it wasn't something that I had to drive myself to do. It was just something that just came naturally. I would do things like... Even now, if there's something that I'm writing on and I have a particularly rough week at work or I have, you know, stuff to do with the kids and so on during the day, I will get up at three o'clock in the morning and not go back to sleep and just, you know, write and then get ready for work. And the funny thing is when I do that, I just feel so energized because I feel as if that's where I'm meant to be it's like it actually gives me some sort of boost so yeah I can't it wasn't like a, a case of having to drag myself uh it's like bliss it's like I just really love to be in that space
0: what's next for you hopefully winning this award but uh <laughs> What else is that in pipeline? That would be
3: amazing. That would be amazing. So right now I am working on a collection of flash fiction. And then I'm also working on a new novel. I don't have the full story yet. So, I mean, that may sound a little funny, but sometimes for me, my stories, it's almost like somebody gives me a story, like a baby to foster and care for and nurture and apply the best of my skills and my abilities and my thinking to it and eventually to release it into the world. That's kind of how it is. In the fullness of time, it will reveal itself. So it's a collection of flash fiction
0: and... novel. That's what I'm working on right now. So this week is International Women's Week. So we had International Women's Day on Monday. And this year's theme is Choose to Challenge. I was just wondering if you've got any words of advice for girls or women out there around this Mm -hmm. year's theme.
3: I think it's important to challenge some of the established notions about what women can and cannot do. You know, one of the questions that I get asked all the time is, you know, how do you balance it? How do you balance being a mom of four with a legal career and with your writing and with other things that I've pursued. And I just say, you know, the way that I balance it is that I no longer pursue balance. I know that I'll never be executing all of those roles perfectly at any point in time or even very well. And I think we need to challenge the notion that as women, we need to do everything well all the time, domestic, professional, vocational, whatever it is. There, I think some people started to think over time that, you know, women in establishing that we are equal and just as capable and deserving of equal pay and, and equal treatment, that we should do all aspects of our roles equally well at all times. And I've never been able to do that so I think that's one of the things we need to challenge. Any of those functions is a full-time job. So
0: <laughs> absolutely, Which is what I said at the start. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> anybody,
3: kudos to anybody who manages to do all three or four full-time roles well all the time. I am not superwoman and I choose to challenge that notion. I'm a human being trying to fully realize my potential and myself. And sometimes that means that some things are going to be done less well, and that's
1: okay. Life in Barbados, a year on a Paradise Island.
0: Monique Archer, a successful competitive show jumper, Barbados Equestrian Association president and one of the founders of the Humane Organisation for the Relief of Suffering Equines, Horse.
4: I had never uh, even really been around horses, maybe seen them for pony rides or something at a fair, but I went to visit some family that we had in Northern Ireland, and they had a farm, and we went out to the farm, and we just had a, a really great day there as kids, and they had a pony, and I got on the pony, and that was the end. I and My family is never... Had riders in it, so there's no equestrian background. that My dad rode, or my mom rode, or my aunt rode, or n- nobody rode. So that's what makes me a firm believer that equestrian sport is in your soul. It's a part of who you are. It is not. It's not a hobby. And anybody that thinks it's a hobby isn't really passionate or really into it. I started out okay. at seven, and I came back. I pestered the heck out of my mom until. She got me enrolled in a riding school and and that's basically how it all started.
0: So that's fascinating because Barbados, as far as I can tell, is quite big in terms of kind of equestrian activity, but it took you to go to Ireland. So I moved here from Belfast to Barbados in December. (laughs) And this is great to hear that you got your inspiration when you were in Ireland. (laughs) It was really something.
4: And I got very involved in show jumping. My dad got me a pony, really wicked thing that used to throw me off and just bolt for home and all the things that you see on the little videos that make you laugh it's not so funny when you're going through it but (laughs) it's funny it's funny look and I think it did make me a stronger rider and certainly has helped me to appreciate the nicer horses I'm now lucky enough to own and to ride I started out in show jumping and did quite a lot until in terms of what we can do here locally I probably jumped up to back then it was in feet so I'm gonna say feet which was like three foot nine and won quite a few classes here and I loved it but I went away and I couldn't afford to do it and couldn't really find anywhere that was easily accessible when I went to school in England to do my A-levels so that put it on pause but I did have some very good friends again in Ireland that said to my dad instead of her hanging out over there why don't you send her across to Ireland and she can enjoy her midterm breaks over here. But then wow. the was off my radar for a few years. I didn't have a horse anymore at that time. And it just faded away a little bit into the background. And then I went to university and still didn't really do any riding. Maybe sat on a friend's horse once in a while for a little a pleasure, but nothing, no competition. But I picked it back up when I got here because my dad quite late in his 40s, decided to take up playing polo and he loved it. Yeah. So that's how I actually got back into equestrian sport was joining the
0: Barbados Polo Club. And so are you still active? Are you still competing?
4: Very much so. I actually went on. It was a big step. I qualified a spot to the Pan American Games, but I had to then get my MER, which is you have to get a required score to basically prove you're proficient, another level up. So that was then three star and it was all a bit of a rush and my horse, while she was quite experienced for the CAC games, she and I were doing a bit of learning together for the Pan American Games. So we didn't qualify and that's not a bad thing because it's a big step up and it's better to take more time and be safe about it. In eventing, there is no sport like it. Like I said, I played polo and polo is high adrenaline. But I would tell any polo player, anytime, that you will never be going cross country. You just won't. The fact that you're galloping flat out at big solid fences and you've got to time it and you know what happens if you don't time it, that's definitely a massive adrenaline rush. It's been incredible and my horse remains in the US. And of course I haven't been able to travel either because of this pandemic, but my goal is to be back up in the US competing by the end of May and resume working towards certainly the Central American and Caribbean Games again, but also working on trying to just climb the levels a bit earlier so that I am prepared to go to the Pan American Games with the final and very lofty goal of the Paris 2024 Olympics.
0: That's been the challenge, hasn't it, the last number of years in terms of athletes, is that the the run-up of these couple of years to the Olympics is a key time. So if you haven't been able to prepare, it's not possible to get there in your sport.
4: Yeah, so we'll see. It's all a little bit up in the air. And just like all the other, just like the Olympic Games and several other events in the world, a lot's been cancelled. So we know anything can happen, but all we can do is dream and hope and prepare. And so that's what I'm doing. And I do hope that we, I hope we get another team to the CAC Games. Uh, I think we could do very well again.
0: I would imagine there have been women well, people who've inspired you along the way. Have there been any women in particular that's helped you grow and develop into a leader within your field?
4: Definitely. I would like to say that I think my first role model would have been my first writing teacher, Jean Ray, here locally. She was tough as nails. She is tough as nails. If you weren't doing something right on the back of the horse, you knew about it in no uncertain terms. But she really made you push for excellence. And I think that was great not to have someone telling you, how, oh, that's great. That's lovely when it's really not lovely. I think she was instrumental. Lucinda Green, who is just a name that I think anybody that knows anything about eventing would look up to. She's just a legend and shattered the mold in so many ways for women in our sport, for the sport in general. She just an an incredible athlete. I got to meet her actually when I went horse shopping for my own horse. So that was quite neat. And she's got an amazing daughter and it was quite good to meet them in terms of present day. I would say that a young upcoming writer who's very successful in the U S Liz Halliday sharp. And I was lucky enough again to stable my horse at her barn while we were all preparing as a team to go to the CAC Games. So I got to see firsthand what goes into the top level athletes. She's knocking on the door for the Olympics and the World Equestrian Games. She's that good. She's a great person and she's so dedicated and extremely hardworking and an absolute perfectionist. I think she really inspires me.
0: Given this week has been International Women's Week, which is part of today's podcast episode. And you have done a lot within your career and within the charity work you do as well. So I was just wondering if you've got any advice for girls and women who aspire to be leaders within their field and may not have the confidence to put themselves out there. I think
4: it's critical for girls and young ladies, young women to know that they can achieve absolutely anything that they put their mind to. And that's not just words. You have to want it really badly. You have to be prepared to sacrifice a lot for it. You've got to build yourself a good plan and seek out people that could help you build that good plan. And you can get there. You've got to believe in yourself. I was blessed in that. I've had a great support network and a dad that told me, basically, there was nothing that I couldn't do. So I grew up with that, but I know a lot of people may not have that. So try to support yourself and surround yourself with positive role models and positive people. And don't give up. I didn't get here easily. Yes, I've had a lot of help and I've had a lot of amazing opportunities that I'm very grateful for. But I wanted to write at this level since I was probably seven. And I'm I'm now 47. So it's taken a long time. To get here, I've lost horses along the way to injuries. I've broken my heart. I've had to part company with trainers and not known where I was going next because you're very limited for resources on a small island. And I've always had to bring trainers in to basically live here and work with me. I've taken no small amount of effort, but it is possible. It is possible to achieve what you want, but you've just got to set your eye on it and refuse to let it go. Just don't give up. There is just a lot of people think look at success and don't realize how hard it is to get there. So don't take anything for granted and just push through.
1: Life in Barbados, a year on a paradise island.
0: We've had some great advice from our guests today, and it is all quite similar. Believe in yourself. Never give up and don't let others place limitations on you. They all came through loud and clear as key messages. I hope you can take some inspiration from today's guests, no matter what gender you are. Please head on over to life-in-barbados.com forward slash podcast, where you will find my show notes and links to the different organizations mentioned by today's guests and the details for the Women's Prize for Fiction 2021. And you'll also find links to my Instagram where you can see Barbados through my eyes in photos. If you are enjoying my show, I would love it if you could also leave a review. It makes a huge difference. Again, you can find those details over at life-in-barbados.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening.
1: Make sure you subscribe to Life in Barbados. A year on a paradise island. Go to life-in-barbados.com/subscribe
0: If you've been enjoying Life in Barbados, you're going to want to check out my other show, The Bucket List. Each episode I chat with locals, guides, and even some people I met along the way on various dream trips experience safari in Tanzania, road trips across the US and hiking across Australia's national parks just to mention a few of the episodes. Go to otherworldtravel.com forward slash podcast and remember to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.